Man, what a, what a thing uh, it is to gather up and declare together uh, such wondrous realities. Uh, hallelujah, right? All praise to you. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. I mean, come. We want you, we want you to come. We need you to come. come. Come home. Bring home to us. This is the journey we're on that we have embarked on and are embarking on between now and arriving at Easter Sunday, uh, seven weeks from now. A, a journey uh, toward uh, the clarity and vision of all the implications of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We will celebrate that weekend, his life, death, and resurrection. But what we are headed to is not just the celebration of that redemptive work, but its implications. What it is that has led to, this is where we're headed, that home is coming. Home is coming. I want a homecoming and I want it now. Can you come, Lord Jesus? This is where we're headed. So, so where is this place that come Easter weekend we arrive at and we find ourselves in and we go, this, this is where we're headed. You should probably know so that over the next few weeks, you know where we're headed uh, so that you're not confused. Okay, listen to this. The, the culmination of where we're headed, the, 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 the final uh, closing of everything, the consummation of time is right here. Revelation Chapter 21, verse 1. Listen. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. The, the sea representing sin and death and the abyss and voidness and everything that is absence of God. It was gone. There is no more abyss, no more void, no more darkness, no more anything that does not have God with it, in it, fully there. There it is. Now listen to this. And it says, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Man, home is coming. That's where we're headed. Uh, that, that the new heaven and the new earth uh, is arriving together. And as John said, it is coming to us. And we will be his people and he will be our God and we will dwell together forever. But that's not where we are yet because it's week one of seven and that's week seven. So to get from here to week seven and to explore the story of human history as it is revealed through scripture is the journey we're on and the story of human history and the story of God and his will and his work for us and with us does not begin in the book of Revelation at the end of the Bible. It begins in the book of Genesis at the beginning of the Bible. And it begins this way. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. The very beginning of the scriptures. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's where it begins. What, what starts the story off for us 
is God's declaration that he has created two spaces, two domains, two realms, if you will. One space that is the space he dwells in, the word that represents the dwelling place of God, the the space, the realm, the domain that is his. And we have a word for that, and that word is heaven. And then there is a space created, a domain, a, a realm that is the space in which our story unfolds, the human story, where we reside, where we dwell, and that is called earth. And so the very first verse in the Bible that is the story of God in us starts with that declaration. I have made as part of creation my dwelling place and your dwelling place. And we will now tell the story of these dwelling places. And the very next verse moves from the declaration of these two realms or spaces, and it turns its focus onto our space. And it begins to say, the space that was our space, the dwelling space we have, earth, it was actually void. It was a darkness. It was lifeless. It had nothing. It was nothing. It, it, was, it, it was the kind of place you don't want to be. It was void. And then in that very same moment, it says, but hovering over this void place was God himself. The spirit of God hovered over the void the darkness that was our domain. And what the Bible begins to show us as early as these first few verses is that when a space is lifeless, a space has nothing of value, nothing worthwhile, nothing to pursue. When God shows up in that space, suddenly all of the potential of life and light and freedom and wonder and vibrance and good and beautiful and wondrous shows up with him. It's almost like you're saying, there was this void that was your domain, but God showed up. And when God showed up, just buckle up because something's about to happen. The word for uh, the spirit of God is uh, the word out of uh, Hebrew that means breath or, or wind. It's a, it's a descriptor of what it is like when God shows up in a place and suddenly breath shows up. Just think about breath for a second. Think about what it's like not to have breath. Think about that for a second. When you lose your breath and you cannot breathe, what comes right after breathlessness if you can't catch your breath again? Death. No breath, no life. And God is describing himself initially and immediately as breath. In the book of Revelation in chapter 15, uh, it says as John was looking at the throne, that smoke arrived as a display of the glory of God. This idea of wind and breath and smoke are beautiful pictures of the fact that God fills a place when he shows up. We here in our journey want the next seven weeks to be a journey where we experience 
through the different places in which God will show up on our planet, which is going to be our exploration, starting with the creation, the Garden of Eden. You will notice as you come in here each week that it will feel a little more smoky than usual. Now, you will notice in the graphics uh, a place each week that we are entering this week, the Garden of Eden. And what will you notice in that place? Breath and smoke, just to remind us That when a place is void of God, it is void of anything good, anything life, anything worthwhile. But when God shows up, everything changes. And so our story begins with our domain and the spirit of God hovering over it. And then God creates. And what shows up in our domain? What shows up in our domain are two wondrous things. The first just being the very consequence of God's presence, which is life. Life shows up. He makes life. He makes trees and seeds and fruit and animals and ocean uh, fish and all sorts of just extraordinary things. There is movement. There is life. There is color. There is wonder. We look to that and we're like, whoa. And then into this place, God does something extraordinary. He, He makes us, but within this story of creation, on this planet called earth that is our dwelling place, God begins to show us something that is mind-blowing. He does not create these two spaces from the very beginning as two separate places that you have to move from one to the other in order to share domain. He creates them as an integration. He integrates heaven and earth. You'll watch it happen in a second. See, we think of heaven and earth so often as two separate realities. And there's a reason we think about it that way. Because part of the story affected a separation. So we experience a separation of our space or domain or realm and God's. That's why we say things like, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven, right? Because it feels separate. But it was not created in Genesis as separate. God integrates it beautifully. He makes within the story of earth a garden called the Garden of Eden. It's kind of almost strange when you think about it because the earth was not a hostile place. It was not a dangerous place. It was not a place that had sin or death or, or, or anything that we couldn't enjoy the whole thing. But yet God creates a little garden uh, in this realm that is our realm and he places us as a human race into that garden. And in that garden, he begins to display certain things. Into that garden, he runs the beauty of water flowing in a space that without water, there is no life. And the garden is full of vibrant fruit trees. And he says, eat of all of this, enjoy all of it. We'll get to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in a second. And in the center of this garden, he places a tree called the tree of life. And the central reality of this garden is that out of this tree of life, all the vibrance and wonder that is God comes to sustain the beauty of life in this garden and in all of creation. God walks with Adam and Eve in intimacy. And the tree of life is a space that when you eat of the tree of life, what do you get? Life. And how much of it? 
eternal life. As you consume of the tree of life, so you sustain eternally life. And God begins, as he will throughout scripture, to put back into image like wind and smoke. He says there in the center of the garden, when you eat of the tree where my vibrance, my, my self reside, this tree, it is like eating of me. Jesus will say that later on. You, you need to eat of me so that you might have life. We say that about the scriptures. Do not live on bread alone, but... By every word. It's an eating experience. Jeremiah in Jeremiah 15, 16 says, your words were found by me and I ate them and they were the joy and rejoicing of my heart. There is in scripture a constant picture that when we come and we experience intimacy with God and we consume of him, it is like an eating. And God puts the tree of life in the center of the garden and says, eat from me as much as you would like. And as you eat from me, you will have life eternally. We have no life outside of constantly needing the consuming of God's life. Isn't that amazing? He literally designs it into our bodies, doesn't he? If you never eat, what happens to you? You die. So even in the very nature of the order of creation, we know without eating, we die. And then he says, it's bigger than that. Consume me all the time and you will live. But absence from me is death. And so in this beautiful garden, he shows integration. Where does God dwell? In the garden with us, yet also in his realm. We don't yet in Genesis see the full integration of the realms, not because they're not integrated, but because right now the story is about which realm? Ours. And so we're watching our story unfold and we don't know for sure what would have happened had Adam and Eve chosen obedience over disobedience. But it is a wondrous thing to realize that had Adam and Eve not chosen disobedience, that the story unfolding out of Genesis may have been one that starts showing us the other side of the picture, the realm of heaven and its perfect and beautiful integration with earth. Because Eden was a display, a description, an experience of what it is like when heaven and earth are integrated when the dwelling place of God is with man and the dwelling place of man is with God not two separate places but one beautiful integration of two realms two domains two spaces two spaces being as one and when that is the case what does that look like well, the Garden of Eden gives us that picture. You want to know what it's like when heaven and earth are integrated fully? It is a delight. It is a paradise. <laughs> what flows in this paradise is water, life all over the place. This was spoken to a people who lived in the desert and water was a scarcity. Not only is it full of water, but it's full of fruit and full of, of, of life-giving sustenance. Not only that, but uh, the work that you do when you are working in the integrated domains of God's domain and our domain, heaven and earth together, it is a life-giving work, not a sweat of the brow work. And not only that, but when you are in this space, you have a fearless relationship with all of creation. 
You don't fear hurricanes. You don't fear storms. You don't fear lightning. You don't fear the, the earthquakes and the craziness. You don't fear wild animals. You don't fear nature. Why? Because it is integrated and it is perfect. And the relationship that Adam and Eve had with creation and animals was fearless. Huh. And the relationship we have with each other is free of shame, free of hiddenness, free of the fear of rejection. They were naked before one another, not only physically, but in every way. When heaven and earth are integrated, this is the story. And we walk in intimacy with God. No restriction, no struggle, no distraction, no, no pulling, no soul work, no struggle. I mean, just, just a simple devotional life feels like an impossible task for most of us. Just to sit down for five minutes and read something about God's like, oh, I missed four days this week. But in the integration of these two worlds, there is no such struggle, no such difficulty. It is just the perfect intimacy with God. No wonder it is that our souls long for the kind of community where we will fear no shame. Don't you look for a small group where you can finally be yourself? Tell your deepest secrets. Why? Because your soul longs for what was once true with a full integration of heaven and earth. Don't you want to work and do the kind of work that takes no sweat of the brow, no striving, no effort, just life-giving in all that you do? Wow, can you imagine that? Nope. Because we do not live in that integration. But when it is that way, that is what it feels like. Don't you want knowledge and wisdom that you just gain from God as he gives it instead of the striving effort to try to find it, even not knowing which is actually knowledge and actually wisdom because it's so confusing? And do we not long for an intimacy with God that does not take work and is not constantly a burden? The story of Eden is a story that is showing us what life is like when the domain of God, the realm of God, the space of God is integrated with the space of mankind. When God's dwelling place is with us and ours with him, this is what life is like. But interestingly enough, the Garden of Eden tells another story that is fascinating. You would think with such completeness that God would just tell Adam and Eve, listen, here's the deal, man. Just relax, sit back, enjoy. I'll see you in the morning, right? But what does God actually tell them to do? Be fruitful, multiply, and take dominion of the rest of the earth. What a strange thing when you have a perfect planet that needs no like go and take dominion. Why would God do such a thing? Because one of the things that God demonstrates in the story of Genesis is that when we are in something that is complete, the story of Eden and our realm, as it is integrated with his realm, it is complete, but there's always more in the completeness to know. We've said this before. Once you know everything there is to know about God, what's left? More, more. And when you know more of everything that you know of God, what's left? More. How much more of life can you find when you're pursuing God? More. When does the more end? Never. If you're in the garden of paradise, how much more of that garden is there? More. And how far can it go? More. 
And so God comes to us, the human race, in our perfection with a perfect garden that represents the integration of what it is like when God's dwelling place is with us. And this is what he says to us. There's more. You don't even know the story yet. There's more. Expand life. Expand the garden. Expand paradise. Because I have made you to partner with me, to participate with me in bringing life now. Except that we didn't have to expand it into death. We didn't have to expand it into the gates of hell. Those were not spaces we had to endure or enter into. All we had was work effortlessly and expand life with me. We often say we are hoping that at the culmination of time, this word culmination means the fulfillment of or the completion of or the finishing of time, that we want to get back to the garden. We don't want to get back to the garden, folks. The garden was just a beginning, not an end. It was complete and yet it was full of potential of what? More, more. And we never got to the more. Do you know why? Because in Genesis chapter 3, when we, the human race, were given the opportunity to walk into this space of the tree of life and eat of the very essence of God himself, life, and have eternal life all to ourselves because God was our everything. There was another tree, a, a tree that represented what is always true in the story of our journey, uh, an, an opportunity for a seeming life that isn't life at all. God actually said it to us. If you eat of the tree of life, what will you have? Life, because I am this tree. But if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if you choose human being to want to know good and evil for yourself without my wisdom and knowledge, to determine for yourself what is just and unjust, to determine for yourself what is good and wrong and right, as we humans have an extraordinary propensity to do, it is going to go very badly for you. If you eat of this tree, it will not give you life. It will give you death. This is what Adam and Eve had before them. And you will say, oh, you can't do that to a human. It's like saying, don't touch the little plug. And the two-year-old's like, "Ah." that's because we have a sin nature now. And when we are given the choice between good and evil, we are bent toward wrath. But that was not Adam and Eve's story. They had every reason, every reason by their nature and their clarity to walk right by that crazy tree and enjoy the life of God. But they chose not to. Voluntarily, in full consciousness, without being enslaved to sin, without being driven by sin, a simple temptation from the enemy saying, God is lying to you. It is the tree of knowledge of good and evil that will give you divinity, not the tree of life. And when they ate of that, Everything God said became true. And these two realms, these two domains, now suddenly experienced the shattering and brokenness of integration. So Genesis 1, creation, integration of God's realm and ours. Eden, the the picture of that, what that would feel like. Genesis 3, Adam and Eve obey God and eat of the tree of life, ignoring the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Genesis chapter 4, end of the Bible, Revelation 21. (laughs) 
Revelation 21 would just become Genesis chapter 4. And there was heaven and there was earth and his dwelling place was, was with us and ours with him. Except in Genesis 3, they don't obey, they disobey. And the realms are torn and shattered by our disobedience. And it says in Genesis 3 that God actually took an angel and took the Garden of Eden, which was on our planet, in our realm, and he guarded it. This integration that was going to expand into all of the earth beautifully is now hidden from us, guarded from us. The tree of life not accessible to us, which means if we cannot have God, we will only have death. And there our story seemingly comes to its terrible end. Now heaven is separate from earth. Now life in the garden is hidden from death in our story. Now the two realms are opposed to each other. Now sin cannot enter the realm of God for sin cannot be where God is. It will be destroyed and we cannot be with God. That's why heaven and earth don't feel like they're together because they're not except that God enters in immediately after we wreck the whole thing. And this is what God essentially begins to say. My will, my plan, my order to have my dwelling place with you and yours with me has not been undone because my will is never undone. It was God's will from Genesis chapter one for Revelation 21 to be a reality. And when we wrecked it as a starting point, God came and said, now I'm going to work you back to where we belong and I will show up in your story. And from that point forward, God begins to enter our story and we see between his realm, heaven and ours, earth, we see not a full integration until Revelation 21, but we now see an overlap. He shows up in a burning bush and speaks to a man named Moses. He shows up in a cloud and a pillar of fire and speaks to his people. He establishes little spaces on the planet, little circles within our realm of death where he will overlap heaven and he calls them temples, tabernacles. And we will spend a great deal of time in the next six weeks in tabernacles and temples where God overlaps heaven and earth in a little space on our planet and says, don't forget, I'm right here. I'm bringing home to you. And as he enters into this journey with human history, showing up and showing up and showing up in our realm and not telling us to come home to him, but bringing home to us, bringing himself to us, we watch the story unfold until Jesus becomes the ultimate temple and redeems the story and opens the gateway for us to walk into a story that now goes back to its beginning, but bigger than the beginning. Genesis chapter four is now in Revelation chapter 21. There's a couple of short chapters in between that is our wilderness, but by God's grace, not our death, not our end, just our wilderness. Longing, watching, anticipating, holding on to the hope 
that has been given to us and offered to us through the revelation of God's word by his spirit and the redemptive work of Jesus that we are now going to be the recipients of this incredible thing. And John looked up and saw a new heaven and a new earth. And the city of Jerusalem came down and God said, my dwelling place is now with man and theirs with me. Oh, we're getting there. We're heading that way. So what do we do for the next six weeks until we get there? Do we sit in misery over the wilderness in which we're traveling? Oh, no, no, no. This is what we do. Peter wrote it down and he wrote it down beautifully. This is what he said in 1 Peter chapter 1, in verses 3 uh, all the way through verse uh, 12, Yeah, through 12, he writes one of the most extraordinary displays of the reality of God keeping Revelation 21 for us until the end of time, keeping us for it. I'm guarding your salvation. I'm guarding your faith. I'm guarding your end. I've got you, right? And then listen to what he writes in chapter uh, verse uh, one, chapter one, verse 13. Here we go. Therefore, considering all this, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What are we to do, folks? We are to set our hope fully on the fact that from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 to Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, God was always creating all this so that his dwelling place might be with us and our dwelling place with him. And it is coming. It is coming. And he shows up here in constant regularity into our domain to show us and to say to us, you don't have to find your way home. I'm bringing home to you. And when I do, as I do, you will know home. And what will home be like? We caught a glimpse in Genesis chapter one and two, didn't we? We caught a glimpse. It was called the Garden of Eden. But do not for one second think that the Garden of Eden is the full expression of what waits for us. Oh, it was just a glimpse. A glimpse of what it's like to have God's dwelling place with us and ours with him. And when we get past the glimpse and see the full integration, there will be no space in our imagination that we can go back to and say, I, I thought this was, I, I, I figured this is what it would be like. We're just going to stand with our jaws on the floor, staring into the wonders of God like John did at the very end of this chapter 21, where God does all this and says, I'm taking all of the abyss away. I'm taking all of sin and death away. There will be no more. And then what does he say to John? Write it down, buddy. Write it down. People need to know. Because what was John likely doing? <laughs> write it down, buddy. What, what do I write? Well, you can't write what you see, but you can give them a glimpse. And when they see it, they will know what the true culmination of time is and who I really am. Life, light, and freedom. Hold fully onto that hope and let us chase our way to Easter as we experience the spaces in which God has set up home on our planet and showed up for us 
in the meantime until we get to Revelation 21. Pray with me. God, thank you so much for your incredible love for us and the way that you have from the beginning been telling a story not of two separate places, one into which you are coming, but a beautiful integration of your dwelling place and ours, that they would be one dwelling place where you dwell with us and we with you. And when you are in a place, that is home. When you are in a place, that is life. When you are in a place, that is freedom. When you are in a place, that is light. When you are in a place, that is everything. And when you are not, that is death. That is darkness. That is bondage. That is the abyss. And thank you that you, from Genesis 1, said, my will, my plan, my story is to make home for you with me. And thank you so much that though we chose otherwise and we should have been left to the abyss, you kept showing up and then came to redeem us through your life, death, and resurrection so that Revelation 21 would still be realized. Truly, it is true that you have said, nothing, nothing will thwart my will. You are the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Savior, the one, the only. And we love you, and we worship you, and we are grateful. Take us through the ride these seven weeks and bring us to stare into your redemptive work and the implications of it so that we might be awed. And like John said, I looked and saw a multitude from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And in one voice, they worshiped. May we find ourselves moving closer and closer to that as the days pass and we set our hope fully on you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.